What does the word intentional mean to you? To me, it means it's related to integrity. And it basically means to be intentional about everything from the food I eat, the media I allow to go into my brain, um, you know, how I spend my time for fun, what I say to my kids. Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. I'm absolutely pumped for today's topic. We are going to be diving into what it means to think and act like a billionaire and why average equals death. I've got Richard Wilson back on the show. It's been about five years, I think, since Richard's been on the show. Richard is an author and entrepreneur, and he is the founder of the Family Office Club, where he has spent over $25 million over the last 16 years hosting 250 live events for their private investor club called the Family Office Club. They have 100,000 members and they've got 6 million followers on social media. They host in-person events every 45 days and they've helped create and run 200 family offices. And we're going to be talking about one of his most recent ventures where it took him 12 years and he spent $1.4 million to buy the domain billionaires.com where he has now completed 25 interviews with billionaires like Tony Robbins, Mark Cuban, Jeff Hoffman, and more. Truly, Richard is a student of what it means to be the best of the best and why average equals death. And he spent almost his entire life devoted to it. So I think this conversation is going to be very meaningful for everybody because if we want to level up, we might as well learn from the people that have been doing it and have already succeeded. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And I really hope you enjoy this interview with Richard Wilson. This episode is brought to you by Arcona's Fractional CFO Services. Arcona's Fractional CFOs integrate into your management team and assume the responsibility of the CFO. They become your strategic financial partner to help you run the business, create your value growth plan, and build the financial roadmap to the valuation you want to achieve. Richard, how are you, my friend? Great. Thanks for having me here, Ryan. I'm uh, so excited, man. I have been following you since uh, since you were on the show. I mean, it was it had to have been six years ago. I saw you through your LinkedIn community six years ago, and I've been following you loosely of what you've been up to. And you know, man, I like you. Do, you wouldn't know, but I've been cheering from the sidelines because I just love it when I watch people doing the hard work, and it's just the the twenty mile march over and over and again. And yeah. I mean, from the billionaires.com that you bought, and it was commercialrealestate.com. I mean how many events you've been putting on and you've just been continuing to move forward. So um, maybe for the, the the listeners, kind of just put the put a little bow around what you're doing and what you're up to. And then we're going to unpack truly, I think the mission that you're on is studying what the best, highest performers are doing. Um, but before we get into that, why don't you give everybody just an overview of what you're up to? Yeah, sure. I'll give a short version. If you think they care about one piece of it more, we can always go into it. But um, you know, basically the last 16 years since 2007, um, I've spent about $25 million hosting 250 live events for our investor club, which is called Family Office Club. Um, and so we do community events, which feature mostly investors on stage, like our big annual event coming up in a couple of weeks. Well, we're going to have um, 120 speakers on stage over three days and a thousand people there. But we'll do investor masterminds and medium-sized events as well. Um, 
written 13 books the last 16 years and we're strong on media and positioning. So as you mentioned, we own billionaires.com and I'm interviewing a hundred billionaires there, asking them three powerful questions each. And then a few of them are nice enough to speak on stage at our events or, you know, do a longer interview, of course, but um, that's basically what we're up to. So why Richard, I think about like, you know, how much, effort you're probably putting into having these conversations, the constant follow-ups, the, I mean, you know, it takes persistence. I, I would only assume to have, insert yourself into these conversations. Like, so why did you start doing this back when you were, you know, like getting in even to the family office? And I, I honestly, Richard, for some context, man, six years ago, I think we titled the episode, like, what is a family office? And now I think how much everybody understands it. I think you're part of that pioneering of bringing that vocabulary into kind of the main street and mainstream like what's your passion behind all this sure yeah um you know the industry has been around for a while but um we do have around six million followers on social media now we put out lots of content every day part of the passion was i had started six or seven businesses before i got out of high school and i saw that many times you can get excited about a business idea and other people are not excited by it because you're 13 years old or because your idea was bad or you were ahead of your time, or it was just a bad idea, right? So when I got into the world of capital markets and I saw the wealthiest people on planet earth had family offices, but most people didn't know what the term meant. And the only way to learn about them was from some financial times journalist who had never worked a day in their life at a family office. I was like, whoa, maybe there's something here. And I started sharing on it. And then our, my free blog at that point just took off and we started getting thousands of hits a day. And then I wrote systematically 500 blog posts on uh, 500 different keyword terms. And we got the front page of the Boston Globe and spoke a couple hundred times in a dozen countries. And it was just focusing in on what works. And you know, the, there's a joke of like, well, why did you rob the bank? It's like, well, that's where all the money was. Uh, and I guess part of my entrepreneurial like subconscious was like, well, how wrong could this go if you become a helpful resource in the niche of the wealthiest people in the world and no one else is being helpful in the niche, then what do I got to lose, right? So That's awesome, man. And uh, based on your video that I watched on your website, you, you, you were talking a lot about Jeff Hoffman's uh, presentation. So I watched, uh, I watched his TEDx, but then I watched like, I think two thirds of it. And it was like, what's his okay. quote on there of like, provide actual value to a real need or whatever it is. And you just, it, so what I heard is you, that seemed pretty obvious to you that there was some, some huge uh, white space there. Yeah. So it seems like every time I've had success, um, I've taken the same approach of really de-risking the situation by taking tons of actions and trying different combinations of approaches. So, you know, whether it was, um, I followed up for 12 years and sent over 100, 150 emails to buy billionaires.com. Or I love it, I love it yeah. so much. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I did that naturally without thinking about it. But I, I love sharing this idea because now, even though I did this so many times, now I'm consciously trying to apply this to every important area because I know it works for sure. Like in high school, I cold called everybody in the yellow pages in the computer industry and got a job making websites. And then out of college, uh, you know, I went to Oregon State University and my professors told me not to rush through my studies but I graduated a year early because it was really boring. And I basically didn't take the $32,000 a year jobs everyone wanted to give me. And I cold called everybody in the Portland, Oregon Chamber of Commerce. And I made $100,000 a year my first year out of school, which was more than my professors made the year before. And it was by cold calling people, reaching out. And uh, you know, I created that good luck. So I think it's a real disservice to tell your kids like, yeah, we're really lucky. It's really lucky that we can go on this vacation to Hawaii. 
It's like, no, it's not. It's because I removed all the friction and worked my ass off and kept on learning and pushing and learning and all that, you know? Oh, I, I, oh, I love it so much. Yeah, I do. And I, uh, I don't know if you'd recall, but I grew up uh, in the copier business. So like my dad, what that's what he, how he started our family business. And so it was 400 phone calls, 15 appointments, eight net news. And so like, just yeah. like you, I totally get it. What, what I'm curious, Richard, is because now you're studying billionaires of what that mindset is. And we're going to get into that. But like, how did you like, wh- what was that feeling inside of you? Were you real like, like, did you have this nag of like, hey, that advice that people were giving you didn't make any sense? Or did you have mentors like your parents or like, how did you realize that you should bet on yourself and what you were doing? Yeah, um, there's a real turning point on that, like when I was in college. But before that, just as a kid, I just loved sports and I loved playing video games. I loved anything that was a game. And then I grew up around my dad running his own business and he was raising capital for nonprofits like universities and things like that. Um, hospitals. And then through seeing him run his business, I was reading Inc. Magazine and then driving him to meetings and going to the meetings where he pitched donors to donate money. And so it just kind of got my brain early looking up to these people in Inc. Magazine and then trying it out myself and starting things that has kind of got the the itch for it. And then uh, made me realize like other people were not doing that, but it worked well. And the more I could do what other people were not doing in a way that was fun, that just made sense to me. Like from the very beginning, it seemed like doing things like everyone else was like the worst thing you could do, right? So we're always trying to look at how to do the opposite, how to do something unique or more focused, you know? So um, I love it. And as we get into, I mean, cause there's probably so many insights that you've been gathering, not only like over this billionaire interview uh, with the whole intent of gathering the best kind of, you know, what they're doing, but like even before that, I'm assuming you constantly with the exposure is like, what is the goal? Because you'd said that everything's a game. And here's why I'm here's why I'm asking, Richard, is because I read the book Conscious Capitalism like five years ago. I probably read it on the time we met. And I was like, oh, yeah. it was like this game that resonated with me. But like, and the sure. reason I'm asking is because on the on my podcast, after 380 interviews, man, there are people that are billionaires that have been on the show or right. someone that's got whatever their pie chart. I always make this joke in my presentations. You can have this beautiful with diversified colored pie chart on Charles Schwab that's a hundred million or a billion. And yeah. if no one needs you, you're gonna end up on my show saying, Ryan, what's it all for? And so, like, right. what is the what is the game and what is the goal of your own game that you have, you know, selected into playing as well as the people that you surround yourself with. Right. Yeah. I think one of my goals is to become more and more ultra wealthy while being ultra healthy. I think a lot of people dismiss their health in order to be successful. And you're really not that successful if your own only measuring stick is money and then your health is awful. And a lot of times, you know, I'll go to a doctor's investment club conference where everyone's paying 50,000 a year for membership and one doctor out of 140 in the room spent 50,000 on their health that year. But if they died, they'd probably get taxed. They'd stop making money. You know, they are the million dollar racehorse. They should be putting the best quality fuel into, and they spend more on their Ferrari or their Mercedes AMG oil change than they do on getting biomarkers on their blood from insider tracker and, or doing a proactive MRI through Pronovo you know, once a year for 1700 bucks, make sure they don't have a big lump of cancer growing somewhere, right? So that's part of the vision. Um, the other part is that um, I have this theory that if you have the most fun year of your life, you're not putting up with bad employees, bad business partners, unprofitable business models, um, and you know yourself well enough to know what you enjoy and what you're great at. 
And so if you focus on having the most fun year of your life, you're a better example to those around you that like, hey, the meaning of life isn't just to work yourself to death. Like, let's go visit five countries and let's go skiing in the Swiss Alps and let's go backpacking across the Grand Canyon and, and uh, do X, Y, and Z. So the combination of those two things is, is very important. Uh, and then the goal with billionaires.com specifically is to read every book ever written by a billionaire, not on them, but just written by them to get their thoughts into my brain and then share the best ones, like the top 30, top 50 with my audience, and then to interview 100 billionaires and have 300 insights from those 100 billionaires. Again, selfishly, I knew it for myself, but I just share it publicly on billionaires.com you know, for free if people want to kind of read what the interviews are saying. Yeah, and highly recommend it. It's uh, and I, I loved how you worded it in the video on your website, where it's like, why would you read it, uh, someone else's book? I mean, they, they, we can with the caveat of there's a lot of good books out there, but people, why wouldn't you just go to the horse's mouth of like the people that actually have done it from yeah. versus other people that are good at marketing their book pot potentially? And, oh yeah. Um, when you, what is the uh, like? What? How did you pick the three questions? By the way, <laughs> let's just start there. Um, it's the same way that I script all the discussion panels at my conferences. I really just thought, what am I most curious about that would help me and other entrepreneurs the most? And I was inspired a bit by the, uh, I think Tim Ferriss has a book called Tools of Titans. And he asked some very consistent questions to these people. And I realized, okay, well, if I do it consistently, it'll make it a bit more interesting. It also makes it a bit more simple. And then with billionaires, they're very private and very busy. Most of them are very confidential about things. So we do it via email or like Tony Robbins and three or four other billionaires replied via audio message now, but just via email, it takes them three to five minutes. And it's like sitting down for a quick cup of coffee with Mark Cuban and you get to ask him just three questions. Then this is what we asked him. And on, on the book point you made before, the, the amazing thing is I'll have a room of 700 people and they'll say, who's read 200 books in their life? And like lots of people raise their hand. And then I'll say, who's read more than 20 books from a billionaire? And usually one hand goes up maybe. And so most people are spending all their time reading books from people who are not as good at business as a billionaire. And so they're just good at marketing their books and maybe making people think they're amazing, right? Like I think Dan Sullivan is amazing. I've done all of his top programs, spent time with him one-on-one. -on -one, books with Ben Hardy are great recently. Yeah. 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 Love, love Dan Sullivan. So it's no knock on him. But if you haven't read books from all the billionaires, then, you know, should you read 10X is better than 2X? I mean, it's a really good book, but there's also ideas from billionaires out there for eight bucks, you know, right? So <laughs> it's interesting to think about, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it, it is interesting to think about. And um, just trying to unpack the, who are you going after, like with the 100? And like, what is your selection process um, for these types of people? Sure. Well, um, if somebody is globally known for something ridiculously horrible, like war crimes or something, then we're not going to interview them. But we otherwise don't get political about it. We're not like, oh, Soros believes in this or, oh, Trump believes in this or that. Uh, we believe that, you know, just about every billionaire has something that they have learned along the way. And no one wants to be exactly like any other human being. You have to kind of mm -hmm. integrate it with your own DNA. So there's something to learn from Mother Teresa. There's something to learn from people that you may not agree with their political views or what they've done with their country. Um, so we're not too picky on that. Uh, I guess, you know, beggars can't be choosers because we're, we're really just trying to get to the 100 interview mark and mm -hmm. then have some of these billionaires speak on stage at our conferences. And so we're really broad-based and we're totally fine with a non-famous billionaire because they're more likely to very quickly answer our questions and 
you know, with Mark Cuban, we had to follow up 14 times over email before he answered our questions. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, would, would rather people get back to us quickly, of course, you know, but we're super grateful that he got back to us at all, you know. That's amazing. And so let's, let's start talking about the themes that are, because I've got some questions written down. So if sure. you see me looking down is, but like, let's talk about some of the themes that resonate with you that are kind of percolating to the top as you're having more and more of your consistent conversations. Are there, you know, I'd say maybe kind of a one-two punch of a question, like what are the, the consistent, see, you did it. My, my yeah, Mac did the thumbs up again. I'm like, what the heck's going on? <laughs> uh, um, but uh, what are the, some of the themes that you've seen bubble to the top? And then which ones do you like and are resonating with? Sure. Yeah. One tough thing about billionaires.com is that there's so many different ideas and pieces of input from reading all these books and doing all these interviews that we're going to create a one page tool like infographic that summarizes all of the best ideas we get from all these sources. The other thing that's tough is that some of the most common pieces of advice that billionaires give it really pounded in your head because so many different billionaires say it. But when I say it on a podcast, it might not shatter anyone's brain because it's not like, oh yeah, you know, oh, oh I've heard that before. Oh yeah, you know, I already know that. But it's kind of like realizing that so many billionaires do this or say it makes you realize maybe I need to apply this to 20 parts of my life, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. a couple of those are um, to work hard and smart is it doesn't matter how smart you are. Uh, if you don't work hard and constantly innovate, and learn, then you're not going to be, you know, at your best. It's really sexy today to be like, yeah, you don't need to work hard, you know, just work smart, but um, not if you want to become a billionaire, in my experience from studying all of them. Uh, the other thing is that almost all of them talk about an insatiable desire to learn, stay very curious and go very deep. And they're constantly exploring, learning, innovating, and it doesn't have to be just reading books. It could be through meeting with others or doing research or whatever, but they're very thirsty to learn. And Mark Cuban says, it's not your amount of capital or your network. It's your ability to outlearn and outwork everybody else in your niche. Yeah, um, I make a comment if you can keep your train of thought, but I, I had to yeah. mention this because I, I'd, I'd read quite a few of the books that were on your book list, which yeah. I was like, oh, nice. And it was not in, on purpose. Yeah. I just like, those are ones that I come across, but Mark Cuban's book and dude, this resonated so much with me, Richard, of like, business is a 24 seven sport. Right. It, like, and you mentioned it in your video and he mentions it in his book. And, and there was one takeaway that I had in it because I read the book like five, six, seven years ago or whatever it was. And he yeah. was like, when he realized that people were like, he would just like read everything, all the manuals before showing up. And he realized that no one else did. Yeah. And I was just like, no shit, huh? And like, literally I took that page out of his book and it works, man. Like, it's like, if you just read and like, it's all free too. It's just very fascinating. Oh yeah. I tell my kids that all the time. I was like, if you have a strong, consistent work ethic combined with focus, like you will run circles around other people. Nobody wants to work hard. Everyone wants the easy way. They just want to kind of clock, clock in and, and kind of coast. And so one thing that, that billionaires often do is focus on how to have an oligopoly or a monopoly. Uh, Sam Zell talks about that. Warren Buffett talks about that. Uh, if you're in a really crowded space, it becomes more painful. And these ideas are all connected, right? So if you are working hard and working smart, and you're focused and you're, you're very curious and you're always learning and you're looking for monopoly niches or your goal is to monopolize the niche. And those things are all very connected to creating extreme amounts of value. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so if you want to be Michael Jordan and try to play pro baseball and pro basketball, no matter how talented you are, chances are you're not going to be as good at one of those sports. So part of it is knowing yourself and figuring out where can you dig really, really deep and where do you need to say no and focus your energy so that you can be number one mm -hmm. in that sport, you know? Mm -hmm. You kind of tied a lot together there. So I, I, you were on a, a, a role. I didn't know if that was if there was other specific learnings you wanted to highlight, because I'm happy to dive into some of these too. Yeah, I mean, uh, the last one that uh, I wrote down just to make sure to share was just that um, it just struck me that talking to a lot of these groups, they're used to a certain level of excellence around them. And um, Steve Schwarzman talks about this a lot in his book. And he talks about his level of excellence is that is so high that some people will find him hard to work with, just like Steve Jobs, just like uh, Jeff Bezos, just like Elon Musk, et cetera. Dale, Dalio, the whole works, yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so it's raising that level of excellence, but it's also a standard you apply to yourself. And it's stacking knowing yourself and doing excellent work on top of excellent business models, excellent JV partners, mm -hmm. excellent team members. Mm. All of that stacked creates exponential growth. Whereas if you have bad, a bad team or you're in a really bad business model, it doesn't matter if you know yourself well and you work hard and you're curious, like you're just in a horrible business um, and you might be a level 10 person in a level two business. So I think the stacking is what allows things to go exponential. Interesting, man. I like it a lot. One one part to, uh, particular part there, a couple is because business not model makes sense. The oligopoly monopoly makes sense you know, focus, saying no to a lot of stuff. I'm sure there's a whole thing on time management, which I think a lot of people realize that time is is finite. But one thing in particular that you had mentioned in your uh, your videos is the people and surrounding yourself by people. And you, you had right. mentioned in your takeaway that like almost everything comes down to a leadership problem. So like this is a multifaceted question that I'm personally very fascinated with is like how people, how they're getting themselves surrounded by people that are excellent that they can trust that are on the same page as them that don't envy them that, you know, they, they're, it's so multifaceted and, and, right. and, and like, it, it just, so there's that question. <laughs> Sorry, maybe we'll, I'll, I'll take, let's take that first. Cause I got to follow up to it. Yeah. I mean, one shortcut is to figure out in the industry where you want to source deals and make acquisitions, what membership groups and platforms are there that cost, you know, at least 7,000, 10,000, ideally more like 12,000 to 20,000 or 50,000 a year. And then you'll get serious players in there and maybe serious deal flow in the space. Like we have a division in the operating business niche. We exclusively invest into medical and dental practices. So it's called medical clinic capital. And, you know, we invest into dermatology, med spas, dentists, et cetera. And so to get good deal flow in that space, we go to peer groups and membership groups and speak at those events where it's 30 to 50K to be a member. So that's one shortcut. Um, Tony Robbins in his interview with us said that he made $400 million in one transaction just from the power of proximity, just by being around the right people is how it mm -hmm. happened. And then it's it's crazy how many times people have said, oh, well, you own billionaires.com and you're interviewing hundred billionaires, you're gonna become a billionaire. you know. And they, they say it like serious, it's not just my friend joking. And it's interesting that our brains connect that, right? Like, oh, you're uh -huh. hanging out with like, 50 pro athletes uh, and you're a high school player that's on your way up, like you're going to become a pro athlete. Like, you know, just people see that connection intuitively. You can feel that. So it's super important. Yep. Um, love it. So here's the, the follow-up question that I have is I'm curious in your own perspective and your own experience and what you've gathered from the people you've interviewed. Cause this is a personal struggle of mine, Richard is like, cause I'm, 
I'm out there speaking a lot, probably similar to you, where like the sheer quantity of new people I meet each week and month is potentially paralyzing if I were to actually think about it for more than a couple minutes. And oh, yeah. it, and it's like the whole, you know, familiar with the Dunbar's law, you know, the 150 people and the different hierarchy of that. And yeah. I've literally been thinking about that in my time allocation and the types of people. And here's my, here's my personal struggle. And the question is, I like, I really, really love my family and friends that I've grown up with Sure. and like how to evolve and grow the people around you without being an asshole because you're trying to become wealthy or, you know what I mean? Like it's this balance of like, how much should we cherish loyalty and friendship and our people around us who know us for everything versus we have this mission that's hopefully not just money for money's sake, like the impact like you're talking about. So let's assume it's an altruistic impact or wealth creation. How, how have you personally dealt with that or people that you've uh, interviewed dealt with that? Yeah, well, uh, Dan Kennedy is famous for saying that if you're not pissing somebody else off by breakfast every day, you're probably not doing anything. It doesn't matter who you are. It could be Mother Teresa. And then somebody who is a different religion doesn't like Mother Teresa, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. she's doing too much, right? So um, so that's one thing is just not to worry about it. The other thing, though, is that um, I've selected, you know, five to seven friends that I purposely choose to spend extra time with to make sure I don't lose those friendships. And so I've been very conscious about that. And I purposely left some friends behind that brought with them, you know, constant drinking or just negativity or things that just like I just didn't have room for anymore. And then um, I also started doing something because my, my wife surprised me with a backpacking trip to the Grand Canyon and I'd grown up in the Boy Scouts. And it was the best gift I think that maybe anyone's given me because we got all of our our high school, grade school friends together and college friends and went backpacking. And then during that, we're like, why haven't we been doing this the last like 12, 15 years since college? And so now every year we do a May and an August backpacking trip. And then I do other hikes and stuff with my wife and other adventure trips. And we went to Nepal to Everest Base Camp this year. We did Havasupai last fall. We did... Um, the West Coast Trail in Vancouver Island, Olympic National Park. We hiked 19 miles through the Narrows. So like it led to all these awesome experiences. And so doing two to four epic mind-blowing trips a year with just your guy friends, I think is an amazing way to reconnect. The average business owner male, and I'm just familiar because I talk to males as peers. This might be exact same for females, but my wife is like super social, right? She's got like a thousand friends, right? And, uh, but the average business owner male, which is who I can relate to easiest, has very little social life in today's modern society, right? You're serving your kids, keeping the wife happy, telling yourself to go to the gym seven days a week. Most of us make it two or three or four, uh, and traveling sometimes, running your employees, your business, trying not to let the stress of business invade your personal life. It's a lot to manage there. And then adding on to that, like, oh, maybe I should go to Top Golf with my buddy on Thursday in the middle of the day, or maybe I should. <laughs> Yeah, right. Like right. a lot of us are just treadmills on level 10, trying to keep up with everything and keep everyone happy and stay healthy. So, so I, for me, that's been really helpful is to um, go on these guy trips and have something to look forward to as exciting, both just with my wife and with my guy friends. Pardon the interruption. I hope you're enjoying the conversation with Richard. 
The thing that I think is most important as it relates to intentional growth and what Richard's talking about is when Richard talks about mental models. These billionaires have mental models and potentially hundreds of them, and they use those mental models on how to make decisions to get where they wanna go faster. And there's two potential ways that you can get where you wanna go faster. One is check out the free intentional growth starter kit where you can jump into the intentional growth framework, understand a, a video on each of the five principles, and I show a case study on how you can project out the valuation of your company using three financial statements, and there's got a PDF in there where you can uh, check off and score yourself on how well you're running your current financials. And the second thing is, if you want to jump right into the deep end, you can sign right up for the online Intentional Growth Academy, the do-it-yourself version. It's normally 1500 bucks, but in the show notes below, you got a $500 coupon code off, and we have deep dives into valuations, deal structures, private equity, ESOPs, financial strategies, how to hire the right team of advisors, all the stuff to give you the mental model so that way you can view and run your company like a financial asset and hopefully create wealth, enjoy work, and make an impact and get where you want to go. Thanks everybody for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the rest of the conversation with Richard. Very helpful, man. Um, it's interesting. I, I would say that, that the, the reason it's helpful for me is because I, I think I'm doing things right for the most part. Because it, it's like, I, I read something and I don't I don't remember where it was, but it was like, ev like on the, some of your closer friends that are not business, like event-based get-togethers throughout the year and you kind of circle it around there because the year goes so damn fast that it's like you kind of have always that anchor that you can look forward to and then everything else can be filled up with right. other things um are you you've mentioned dan sullivan so i can i can use these uh, these uh words or the vernaculars how are you managing like your uh you and like the people that you've been interviewing managing your time allocation because dan's got like the free days the buffer days and then the uh, performance days is it something similar to that because someone listening in might think, okay, well, how do you get where you want to go if you're spending a lot of time doing other things? But I think there's a lot, you know, probably a combination of leverage, but how are you allocating your time and, uh, and focus? Yeah. So I try to have my Monday, Wednesday, Fridays be like my strategic days, like my power days, and then my buffer days be Tuesday, Thursday. So if it's a normal looking week, Tuesday, Thursday is where all my Zoom calls are, all my meetings, bunch of stuff like that. It fills up the calendar. And then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I've got more clean thinking time to do strategic work. I also like to get up early in the morning. So I usually will start working between like 3.30 and 4.45 in the morning and knock out a few hours of work before people are pinging me with things. But um, the biggest time advantage I have is that I have people always send over an agenda before I get on the phone and then they'll list out six different things and I'll take care of five of them over email and say, okay, well, let's just talk about point number three. And then the phone call takes eight to 10 minutes instead of 30 minutes or an hour. Uh, all calls by default, I have them scheduled for 15 minutes is typically the default amount for a phone call instead of 30 minutes or an hour. And if someone sets it for an hour, I'll ask if we can do it in 15 minutes. Uh, many times when people send over the agenda of what they want to talk about, we don't need to meet at all because they need to talk to my team member, not me, or mm -hmm. we don't invest in startup dry cleaners in Zimbabwe or wherever the deal is that they're mm -hmm. trying to pitch. <laughs> and then uh, uh, the, the final thing that I feel like almost nobody does, because some of that stuff is common sense. Um, Although some people will really resist it and say, no, 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 I can only tell you my idea over the phone, then it's just a pass for us. Because if you can't say it in a simple way over email, then you really don't know what you're doing. So it's a good litmus test for like, you know, is this thing real or serious? But the, the ultimate tool we use is audio messages. So we send hundreds of audio messages a week to joint venture partners, team members, investors, friends, my brother, attorneys, 
And with an audio message, it sounds very simple. Like, oh, why don't you just get on the phone? It's like, well, you might be driving to the gym. You might be just in between meetings and you have two minutes to read it and, and reply back. With an audio message, I don't have to think on my feet and say something really smart in 30 seconds. I can listen to it, do a 10 minute drive to a coffee meeting, and then send a very thoughtful message back that's well articulated and then review what someone said a couple of times and not forget what they said. Um, and it's asynchronous. So it doesn't matter what time zone mm -hmm. I'm in. By the time mm -hmm. my competition schedules a Zoom call, I've already solved the issue on audio message with way less hassle. And just, mm -hmm. it allows me to move so much faster doing like just constant audio messages. Are you uh, very mechanical? Are you, are you doing that like through like the actual audio on like an iPhone or are you doing like, like a Loom? I've been using Loom for like five years or something like that. Yeah, I, we do Looms sometimes. Like um, if it's like an important walkthrough of a pitch deck or something, but many times it's just a uh, audio message on WhatsApp or on Slack. But I'll also sometimes record a personal video on my iPhone and then just send it to someone. Um, and on Slack, they'll transcribe your audio messages automatically, which is kind of nice. Got it. Um, very helpful. And yeah, I love that, by the way. And, and I think it's because, uh, yeah, you're right. People are always wondering like, hey, am I on right now? What do I got to do? Going back to this time and like, and I was uh, in your in your PowerPoint that you'd sent over and I, I feel very similar. And I think a lot of the listeners in are in this particular paradigm where it's like, okay, so bear with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of lay out a couple of concepts where they one of the big concepts I talk a lot about is you ha we have to separate our leadership role, the W2 job from the, the asset, like ownership cares about equity growth and the trade-off between reinvestment and distribution in the timeline, right? The job is the W2 and you're managing operations. And there's a very solid time. I'm and, and my question would be is as you're thinking about the people you've interviewed or yourself is like, as you're scaling, you know, there's a lot of times you're playing both those roles till you have enough cash flow to then be able to manage your income through distributions and not the W-2 paycheck. And there's this inflection point that I'm really trying to help people see because it's like, hey, you could potentially make your $400,000 a year through distributions. It might take you 18 months, sure. but then there's the, that's the first goal is to get out of that and get on top of the cash flow. Yeah. Then therefore the time allocation becomes a different different game than it is prior to that so kind of right. like maybe a, a clear way of saying is that we have this phase one phases phase two of how to manage time like, like sure. what are your thoughts on that yeah so um a couple of different thoughts one i went through a book there's a workbook you can buy on the strategic coach website called the unique ability 2.0 workbook and helps you self self-examine yourself take some psychological tests but importantly, ask six people around you that know you best in business and ask yourself a bunch of questions and you really zero in on what you are best at and what you're amazing at. So what are you excellent and passionate about? And the more you focus your time on that, the more you know who you need to hire next to remove yourself out of the business and not work in it, but work on it. And that's super critical. And likely you're doing five to 12 different things in your business and you should only be doing maybe 20% of what you're doing now. And you can find someone much smarter than you so what you want to do is start with what's most painful or what you know you're not world-class at and hire someone way better than you at the selling or way better than you at the contract negotiation or following up on the details or project management, whatever it may be. And then what I try to do in my business is whenever we're giving birth to like a new business, we try to only have like one new baby business at a time until it starts to grow legs and walk. Mm -hmm. um, then until it hits 200,000 a year in revenue, I'll really babysit it and make sure that it starts out healthy because you might need to innovate and tweak 400 times to get it going. And I'll be most motivated to do that. But once we get something working that's two to 400,000 a year, 
we'll hire a full-time dedicated person, make them highly accountable, give them big upside for making that sandbox big. And then that will remove me from the business and being able to run all of our conferences and me only spend like a couple hours a month on that business allows me to elevate and really focus on, you know, we've helped create over 200 family offices for clients. Um, you know, we, we're growing medical clinic capital as our division investing in the medical practices. We're interviewing billionaires on billionaires.com. And if I was stuck in my business, none of that would be happening. Right. So it's, it's super critical. Then wasn't your uh, podcast with Tony Robbins talking about how it was more difficult at 10 million than it is at 7 billion. And like, right. I can right. totally see that too. Cause it's like, and I think so many of the people and here, here's, here's just kind of a, a riff for a second is like what, when I think about all the people I'm interacting with Richard, that all the hundreds of people have been through our training or the keynotes is like, I am convinced now to my, almost my core that most entrepreneurs know what questions they need answers to, but somehow they're like stuck in that hamster wheel, that 10 million to 40, $50 million business or whatever it is. And they can't get out of that W2 job or out of the operations. Right. So I'm here's my here's what my observations are. I'm curious what you have seen. Is it it's this lack of financial literacy that is very fascinating to me. And it's fascinating because I got a D in accounting in college. It was my worst grade in college. Yeah. And I was a copy sales rep. And now I teach finance to like middle market entrepreneurs, investment bankers, and commercial banks that have are subscribing to and licensing our material. I'm sitting here going, right. I figured out the why, but like there's this whole like how to multiples, how to EBITDA, like how the how to actual finance, not debits and credits right. necessarily. Right, right. Like because like I like in order from like when I've watched people have this light bulb moment, then there they, there's like this confidence that goes through the roof of like I can step back because I actually know what Richard's gonna do with my business versus just right. this blind faith. So like, where does financial literacy and understanding certain, like the, what, how the game is actually played, where does that happen for the, some of these people? Sure. Well, uh, it is something that comes up um, with probably 20% of the billionaire books is that you really have to know your numbers. You have to know the ratios, your KPIs. You have to hold your team accountable with KPIs and yourself accountable with KPIs. Um, and so when you mentioned before we started this recording that you're into that dashboard space, I told you about mm -hmm. how we had invested in the dashboard space, we're just big believers in that being super critical. So our whole team is driven by that. Um, you can't grow a company without that. So I think that that is really important. Um, and then when it comes to financials and knowing your financials, one thing that really holds back people related to what you're saying is deal structure and investment structures. Many people want to grow, but they either think, oh, I have to sell the private equity or I go to the bank to get a loan, mm -hmm. and they usually don't even think of going to private investors. If they do, they usually give away a lot of equity, and they could have structured it a different way. So we use a lot of uh, gross revenue royalty structures to get investors a 2x return on their money, and then they're either out of the deal, or they get a little kicker if you sell. So we like to do creative structures like that, so it's a win for everybody, and we're often working with people to equip them with that. And once they have those mental models in their head, like, Charles Munger and Evan Pagan and Warren Buffett and uh, Steve Jobs, they all have talked about how you need to have a hundred mental models you collect over time. And you know, these little machines work that if you do this, then this happens. And the machines that you need to run your company are different than what I need, but we probably have some of them in common. And then you're always tweaking and improving how these little formulas work in your brain. And one of them is deal structure. One of them is KPIs for your team and yourself, right? So a lot um, of them relate to, you know, five or 10 of them probably relate to financials or structures. 
so awesome how you put that because the way I like to describe it to my audience is like if you're just focused on revenue, here's my shtick is like it's like focus on revenue, optimize for gross profit, and then hopefully there will be more cash in the checking account. I'm like, that's just so blind. We're like, that's what I call playing checkers. And if we're sitting down with private equity, we're talking about rolled equity, phantom, you know, phantom stock or you know, SARS, or you got like the escrow to just there's thousands of deal structures yeah. out there. And that's four-dimensional chess with five boards at the same time. Yeah. And they don't need like like in this is where I, I find it very fascinating is that these topics expand people's minds like the matrix of the zeros and ones because it's like I truly believe that a lot of the people that tune in or that our audience know their industry and their niche so well, but they right. don't know these things. Yeah. And it's like this is just the missing part because it's just about incentive alignment. And so that many is. people have ended up on the show with so much resentment because they didn't understand the deal structure, but they understood the ops and the industry. And then like, yeah, you know, they, they don't know that there's asynchronous or uh, asymmetry in information. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, it's so funny you brought up that example because that's how I think about it. It's like, you know, when uh, Camp Kenner Reeves, you know, Neo plugs into the machine and he's like, I know Kung Fu. It's kind of like, uh, <laughs> you're basically saying, I want to get all these billionaire mental models and put them in my brain and I don't know what's going to happen when we interview 100 billionaires and read 240 billionaire books, but at least one good thing's going to happen, right? So, right. you know, as like, there's no doubt about that. It's obvious that that will be the case. So um, I like doing things where the result may be unknown, but it's going to be ridiculously good results if you put in the work. And then that makes it so you're willing to do a decade of work focused on one single niche because it's worth it, you know? Kind of reminds me of a Nassim Taleb's anti-fragile. Like it's the highest amount of exposure with the least amount of downside, but the hugest amount of upside. And like kind of goes back to the Cuban thing. It's like it's just knowledge and context, right? You don't have to play, you're not even you don't have to place all these bets just yet, but you have all the mental models so you can place the best bet at the right time with the right amount of chips. Yeah. Ray Dalio, I know you're a huge fan of Ray Dalio. And one of my favorite statements by him is that whenever you face a fork in the road and you don't know whether to have the cake or the apple pie, then you try to get the best of both and try to maximize doing both options. And how do you limit your downside while still taking advantage of the opportunity and putting a hedge in place or something, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I use that a lot when talking to other people because they're like, oh no, well, do we want to do this or this? I'm like, well, let's figure out how to do both and we'll structure it this way. So Sounds like a false choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking yeah. probably from true billionaires of like, ah, let's reinvent the game instead of, it's like when I was watching Elon and on Lex Friedman, he was talking about like, he's fighting hatred or whatever in, in the game. And he's like trying to figure out how the game works, not actually how to play within the rules. Right. Um, I, go, I want to go back to, it's the people question of the, it's a leadership issue. Like in a, another personal, um, this is highly personal to me is like, how do you, it's the trust of people because like and here's the here's from my perspective richard like i trust first right. which i refuse to give up that approach because sure. i just think it's the way better way of living because i that's my choice but it comes at high cost if you sure. trust the wrong people or you bring people into the inner circle right. and i'm just ryan tansom i'm not one of these people you're talking about so how are these people vetting out the people like because if they've got their circle but if it's evident and flowing as they're meeting people what is the, uh, like, what's the process for allowing people into the inner circle? Um, a lot of them work off of referrals or trust. So we're really focused on 
getting a few more A-list billionaire interviews done because it helps that we have Mark Cuban and you know Tony Robbins and Jeff Hoffman, but we're talking to someone that's uh, connected to Taylor Swift and trying to get her to answer our questions. And if we could get another A-lister or two, it'd make people feel that much more comfortable. Um, there's also social proof and just massive numbers. Um, if we had 50 interviews done instead of 27 of the 100, you know, that would help because a lot of it's based on like, you know, what, what is the downside here? What's the ask? And if you can help them in some small way first, then it removes that friction. So these people get bombarded constantly and they have to ignore pretty much everybody statistically. And so the only things they get through is something that helps one of their portfolio companies or helps their daughter or it's helping them first. And so people don't owe you a reply to their emails or phone calls, et cetera. But if you reach out to someone and say, hey, I have a, a structure that I could show you. And so every time you open a new gas station or ice cream shop, you're not diluted at all with your, your equity offering as you raise capital, then it's in their best interest to reply. Or like, hey, I have a client for you, or I have another billionaire who would like to connect with you because he's looking to place capital in the cannabis and that's where you made your billion dollars. You know, could he put some capital to work with you? And then it's like in their best interest to reply. Um, so that we're trying to get better and better at answering that exact question. And like one of our tricks is like, hey, can we buy 500 copies of your book, Mr. Billionaire or Mrs. Billionaire? would love to give it out at our conference. And it'd be great if you could just answer these three questions as well. Um, and that way we're dispersing their book and it's more in their benefit rather than just putting their quotes on our website. Um, but we're trying to get better and better understanding how to navigate this world because they're so private, so hard to get a hold of, you know? Mm -hmm. um, very helpful. It, how much of this, uh, I'm going to give like the Peter Atiyah, have you read his Outlived book? No, uh, but like 10 people told me I have to, but I'm trying not <laughs> hey. to read books, but billionaire books. <laughs> <laughs> Focus, my friend, mad, mad, hey, mad respect for that. Um, so I, I'll give you, I'll give you why I brought it up is, is uh and it kind of has to do with Ray Dalio too because again I've watched so much of Ray now I could literally probably do it as, as on on uh, par with him but like my point is is like after all of this consumption of knowledge I then go back I, I said to everybody like because his outlive book is right back there and I'm like here is a 500 page book yeah that proves without the shadow of a doubt that you need to do the common sense shit yeah <laughs> like like it's wake up, do something important, like, you know, go for a run, then do some good exercise and then eat well and get eight hours of sleep. And here's right. the proof behind it. And, the, and like, I think about Ray, he's like, just, you know, spend less than you make, right. diversify. And like, how much of this it, it like boils down to, there is no quick hit for the ultimate outsized returns in life, relationships, health, and I, I, with the caveat of like your PowerPoint is average equals death, but like is doing the common sense actually what is not is what is actually on average or what, what I'm trying to say. Like common sense? sense is so, so far from average. I don't know more than two or three human beings that sleep eight hours a day, eat healthy foods and exercise every day. You know, most people don't sleep enough. Most people only exercise two days a week or three days a week, even if they seem like they're in shape. So um, it's not common at, at all. Um, but the other thing is that um, Tony Robbins says, if you've been collecting strategies your whole life, like most of these books in back of you, they're giving you strategies. You go into an MBA program or an executive education, they're giving you strategies. But Tony Robbins says that it's just marginal improvement after a while. After 239 books, is the 240th book going to change my brain with more strategies? Mm. 
Maybe not. So Tony says it's the state of your mind that's going to really move the needle at this point. So managing your peak state of mind. And if you go on Facebook or YouTube and you type in uh, David Goggins and you watch one of his videos and have him start yelling at you to get off your butt and start working hard and maybe face the harsh truths of your life, you can see that David Goggins is in a pretty high energy state of mind, at least when he does his videos and for a lot of his life. And he's very goal oriented and very high action. And, and what Tony is saying is that um, instead of reading the 240th book, maybe do some real work on how you get into an ideal peak state of mind, correct yourself when you go off the rails and something gets you off your ideal state of mind. And really, if you watch Drive to Survive, the F1 show on Netflix, I just went to the F1 Vegas race uh, two days ago with my wife and, and uh, saw it in person. And if you watch Breakpoint on Netflix or Quarterback, so much of it is the mental game, right? You start losing a few races, you crash your car three times, doesn't matter if your last name Schumacher, you start losing confidence in yourself and you start being timid and you're the back of the pack, right? You mm -hmm. start losing in tennis and you know you lose seven points in a row, you know? And it's just like, you see it in all the sports, the mental game is massive. When you get to the top, a lot of it becomes your mental game versus the other people who have all so collected so all awesome. these mental models. So yeah. I think it's just super critical. That's so awesome. And because uh, I think, it, you know, it's fascinating for me as I've watched a couple comments is that I get this weird comment to, from a lot of people, man, you got a lot of energy. And I've been in sales long enough, Richard, where like either that means, holy shit, I'm too much for people, which I understand. And I, again, I've got no, no issue with that. But all, all, but I've, but what I've, I think what I've, all, all joking aside, I've realized is that having that much energy that's consistent is actually unique. Right. And, and, and it's in it, but I think it's fascinating to me because it came from sales where like, man, you, you can't show up and not be like on your game. Cause you're going to get the crap kicked out of you every single day. Yeah. And so like, you get, you better like feel good about yourself because it's going to be depleted by the end of the day. And I just find it just unique that that's such a, an important part in, and in, in reassuring I, in some weird way, it's like, this is so much in all of our con control. And yeah. I'm watching Richard with like, you know, as I've been doing this for the last 10 years, I mean, the the reason I, I stuck with it this long, kind of with you and how you saw your white space is I, after selling the business, I'm like, how was it that big of a, a cluster for like a $20 million business with a hundred and some employees. And then I realized that, Oh my God, like the U S census bureau shows that like half of the people that work in this country are working for small businesses. And right. the average age was when I started 55. Now it's 65. You know, you, you would probably constantly are hearing the $10 trillion baby boomer wealth tsunami. And I'm sitting here going, these people, a lot of them have jobs that are, have like a bunch of assistants, you know, call it 50 assistants. It might be, but like, I'm watching the energy drop of these people because all of a sudden they're empty nesters. There's these life milestones that change their perspective of like, what is the goal and what's keeping me going? And it's just kind of goes back to like these billionaires have a different goal. It's not just get yeah. my kids through college or something to keep that, that whole equation healthy. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. They, they love the game of it. And I think that they try to put massive action onto their very focused area. And I think that a lot of them are always, you know, they're learning faster than others, but they're also more focused than others. And then they don't take meetings they don't want to take. They don't put up with people wasting their time. They have a level of excellence on expectations of how things should be around them. Like why, why would they do something 
that's not fun, that's not exciting, that's not exponential. And like one of my biggest cheats to brainwash myself is I read this laminated one pager every morning and it has my, my monthly, my quarterly, my annual goals. And these are all my mental programming statements. And I read it to myself while I shave every morning. So I start the day reading average equals death, reading no linear, only exponential. I read this quote from Bruce Lee that says, calm is a superpower. Um, and I, I read like 50 different statements that are my, my mental programming, almost like mental models on how my brain should operate for the day. And then that way, when I go out into the world, things that align with that, okay, then I, I go with that. Things that don't, don't, right? And then it just uh, helps keep me on my guardrails every day. It's, it's amazing. And I know we're getting short on time here. Uh, we got to get to the turkey race. Um, is uh, is it, It's having your having the principles and back to the dalio like having the principles it allows you to say no to everything because it's obvious you don't have to think about it in this like i think it's very fascinating i'm watching people and i don't know if it's the huge abundance of what we're now in richard we're like thinking is more important than doing have you guys as any of these people acknowledge that or is that, is that something that i'm kind of making up because of my own experience or i think that the uh the mental model part is how it comes out and constantly learning I think a lot of them do take massive action, but like a lot of people like Andrew Carnegie and others like Warren Buffett, most of their time is spent learning, connecting, thinking, and then they have a thousand employees to actually do, 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 but the doing part they have to do is a constantly learning, maybe negotiating deals if that's their strength, et cetera. So it's very much. Okay. I was I was gonna ask you because you mentioned Andrew Carnegie. I just uh, a few months ago. I don't know how I didn't stumble across it earlier, but um, Napoleon Hill: How to Own Your Mind by Andrew Carnegie. Have you oh, read yeah. that book? No, I haven't read that one yet. Is so any- I'm assuming. I mean, Andrew was a billionaire, so he's not yeah. alive. So you're not you're not getting him on the podcast. But yeah, dude, it is freaking fantastic, Richard. It's got okay. this whole mental model, and I like why well, I find it so fascinating. And you should. I shouldn't you I, sh- I shouldn't should you at all but like it might be interesting to sure. like when you wrap it up with your 100 interviews is like compare it to Andrew Carnegie's because he's got this diagram and I'll screenshot it and send it to you because it's in yeah, my audible yeah. is he's got this mental model I'm like it's 120 years old like it's long it's older than everybody on this planet and yeah. it was before the internet so obviously there was there's a, like universal truths that it's interesting they just might go back and be like and he's talking about, like you're saying, the mental models. Yeah, no, for sure. I, that's one of our goals is to have more insights on billionaires and from billionaires in one place than anyone else has ever gathered in the history of the world and just make it so deep and so much more in depth that um, people are going to say, oh, maybe I'll do a different project versus, you know, be in that same sandbox. That's kind <laughs> sounds of- like, It sounds like oligopoly monopoly kind of, uh, kind of yeah. strategy. I like it. Exactly. <laughs> Richard, I have had an absolute blast catching up. Uh, congratulations on the, the 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 steady, consistent, valuable, quality work, man. It's super cool. A um, couple of final questions is I love to hear people's definition of intentional, and I'd love to hear yours. It's the name of the show. I, I've gravitated towards this word, but what does the word intentional mean to you? To me, it means it's related to integrity, and it basically means to be intentional about everything from the food I eat, the media I allow to go into my brain, um, you know, how I spend my time for fun, what I say to my kids, and the more integrated that all can be, because I'm so intentional about the integration of it, then I think the more the world just kind of gets out of your way and helps you. Ooh, integrated. I like that. That's a, that's a new, new twist to it. 
um bill like billionaires.com we know it, but like where, where, where should people find you got the books you got the show what's the best place to find all the places that you're at yeah i think uh familyoffices.com is where you can see our event schedule and then if you want to just fill out the 10 second form on investorclub.com you can get in touch there. My mobile number is on the, the website at investorclub.com. It's just 305-333-1155. Shoot me a text message. We do a, a ton over text and audio messages, as I mentioned. So happy to be a resource. And I love what you're doing at the KPIs and dashboards. It's critical to how we grow our company. I don't think you can scale to 10 million or 20 million without, without that. So I'm definitely going to shoot you an email between now and next Monday with some uh, some notes and just kind of see what you're doing there to see how we could use that as well. Yeah, I'm excited. And uh, just word of uh, uh, caution for the listeners is if you you better understand that to send Richard some value, if you're going to be sending a text or something like that, because I'm assuming you're going to get a lot, a lot. But Richard, this has been an absolute blast. I learned a lot and I'm sure the listeners did too. So I appreciate your time. Great. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. That was a fun conversation. I love understanding how people are managing their time, how they're managing their decisions. And it's really interesting how Richard talks about it as in mental models that these billionaires have. And it's fun to hear how Richard is soaking it all up and learning how to do it himself. And if there's a way I think you can get started is there's just a couple of things that we could do to help you through intentional growth. One is, like I said, jump into the Intentional Growth Academy. The online version, it's uh, you're normally 1500 bucks. There's a coupon code for 500 bucks off in the show notes below. We jump into private equity, ESOPs, finance, strategies, how to view and run the company as a financial asset. And if you're not sure yet, you can always uh, jump into the starter kit that's got, got a little bit of a, a taste test and it's free. Um, the second thing I would say is you could always sign up for a discovery call with me where I will ask you a couple questions and my team at Arcona offers a complimentary financial assessment. We'll plug into our dashboard and then we'll analyze your numbers using your accounting data and all of our models. And then my team will come back and my team has been overseeing private equity firms. They've gone through deals. So they're looking at your company as a financial asset and you get a third party perspective on what you might be missing and what you could be, what the opportunities could be if you were to organize your data in a way that you could see your point B in that valuation. And then we could figure out if it's a go or no go for our dashboard and coaching calls after that assessment. All those resources are in the show notes below. And I just want to say thanks everybody for tuning in and I will see you next week.